Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladles and jealous boons, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective podcast, the place for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. And today we are talking about the bigger picture of selling a brand and more specifically trying to figure out who you might be selling to. So we're talking to Jeremy from Elevate Brands. Jeremy is the chief mergers and acquisitions officer and Elevate Brands. They're buyers of consumer leading Amazon brands and they're there to elevate them to their full potential. And Jeremy's been in the Amazon space since 2016. So a veteran Amazon seller, which really, really helps. And that's part of what we're talking about today. So first of all, Jeremy, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Michael. Good to, good to be back. So let's talk about this. So in the last episode, you talked about the phrase in investment banking. I think you said that one of the big phrases was qualify the buyers. Are you really, really going to understand who it is you're selling to? So we've got a little list of, I think, eight questions that you should be asking or eight sort of checkpoints that any business owner who's considering selling should be asking themselves about their buyer. So let's plunge into this. Tell us about point number one here. Awesome. So, so maybe before we dive in, just Please. one thing I'd just to share like why this topic is important is we, we've bought two, I think we've bought three businesses this year where people have gone down a sale process and it didn't work out. And, and their engagement with us is the second time that they've had to go through the process to sell their business. And, and there was a saying when I was in private equity and it was doing deals suck. And it's because like effectively all you're doing in underwriting is just verifying that the opportunity stacks. So there's a lot of analysis, a lot of legal work, and it's just box ticking to make sure that the opportunity stacks. So you never want to go through that process twice and, and qualifying your buyer is key. So yeah, that's what we'd like to, that, that's why I'm passionate about this topic. So the first, the first question that I think any, anyone thinking about selling their business and talking to someone is how good an operator of the business is this potential buyer going to be going forward? So the key question that you should ask them is, talk me through your operating experience and perspectives of managing this type of business, in this case, an Amazon FBA business in this niche. And, and, and how they respond to that will be very telling around because you how to operate the business and what's involved and whether or not they hit the right buttons or talking points kind of really goes a long way to qualify, does this person know what they're doing? So that one, it's a really simple one, but it's key. And then ask some questions like, what's your experience of dealing with late FBA check-ins for this type of product? Or how do you see us getting around like this potential hazmat issue? And, and that will very quickly distinguish those who get it and those who don't. So just go and think about some of those operating challenges that you deal with, whether it's getting black hat attacked or dealing with fraud, fake sellers or, or whatever it is that you kind of like stresses you out as, as an operator. And just throw those, just throw those at potential people interested in your business and seeing how they respond. Uh, That's perfect. Yeah. 
I was going to say what I really like about it. Sorry to to interrupt you. I, I was going to say that's great is that's absolutely 100% within all of our experience. We we know the things that we'd ask there. But it but it sounds like a state, and when there's good wisdom, when as soon as somebody says it, it's incredibly obvious, but you hadn't thought of it. That's one of those, I think, because those are such easy things to talk about because we spend our lives thinking about them. But mm. it's just thinking of actually asking them because I guess there's an assumption that I would make if I was selling my business to somebody that they know all that stuff. And I guess we need to test the assumptions, right? I guess that's the whole point, right? Yeah, 100%. Because if you're meeting someone for the first time, often through a Zoom call, they've got an impressive background, they've got really great professional experience, but just get down to the brass tacks of what's involved to operate. Because Amazon businesses, they're not easy to operate. They're very complicated operating businesses. And, and there's a real art and skill. And I think many sellers underestimate how good they actually are at doing what it is that they do day to day. And they just kind of don't properly value that skill set. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. That, I love that. There's really, really great stuff. And that's a wonderful thing because it doesn't require having an M&A background to be an expert in answering that question. In fact, it's the opposite. It's like you're an Amazon operator. You're well equipped to answer that question. Beautiful. Okay. So what's the second, the second of our eight questions? So, so the, the, the next one kind of feeds into the first topic of have you actually met the person, and this is particularly important if there's an earn-out structure or if you want confidence that your business um, isn't going to be run into the ground, during the process or the underwriting process or, or the pre-bid process, have you actually met the team and the specific people that will be managing your business going forward? Because if you haven't, if all you're doing is meeting a bunch of like, finance types like me, then how do you know that your business is in a safe pair of hands after you kind of sign the legal contract and the money's in your bank account? So again, it's, it's like a simple one, but if people talk about a great team and the great operating processes that they have, it's a very simple question. Just prove it to me. Like, who's going to be managing this business? And then when you meet that person, it's like, so what do you think of my business? What do you, what do you know about this niche? Like, what do you think some of my key opportunities are? And just, just really tease it out of them to see how capable they are. So that's, it, it, again, it's one that just kind of flows into the, the first topic. Nice. And I guess, again, based on our Amazon operating experience, we're beautifully placed once you meet somebody like that to ask them sort of questions that you would, you would just the, the same stuff you deal with day in, day out, right? How, we had a, a listing suspension last week. How would you deal with that? Or what our account was suspended last year. And, and they're going to know the dirty laundry anyway, right? And due diligence. So it's not like you're revealing anything terrible, I guess. That that would be my first question, <laughs> I have to say, because how do you deal with the lumps in the road as well as what's the upside op opportunity and how are you going to grab that and that kind of question, right? More positive questions. Yeah, I guess the, as Amazon operators, now you put, make an extremely big point that we undervalue our skill set. One of the skills is that I, I notice is kind of a mindset ability to bounce back from not only some really major slugs in the face, but also the un, unknown quantity of how long are you going to be suspended? How How is this IPI change going to affect me? It, what are the rules? And that level of uncertainty is actually something pretty hard to deal with, I think. And actually the successful sellers I know just handle that. And I find that very admirable. Like I know one guy who got an account suspended that was doing half a million dollars a month for three months. What I really yeah. admired is he came back from that and about a year and a half later, he was doing a million dollars a month. I'm like, that's awesome. That's a mental strength. I don't think everyone's necessarily, I mean, if it's your own business, you're going to freak out more than if you own a hundred brands. But I'm not sure that I would trust that everyone would deal with that situation. So that would be the sort of question I personally ask, but well, maybe I'm just a bit too tough. No, a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent right. Cause like our business, we started as in wholesale or, or 
what, what some people call retail arbitrage. And we got suspended three times. The longest was for three months. And it's having the kind of just the, the drive to get through it and, and the experience to know that when this situation happens, here's what you do to get out of it. So it's, it's, just, it's just key because th- there's a difference between being like an owner operator where like you, you get suspended, you lose sleep for two weeks, like it constantly stresses you out versus someone who's just looking at your business like it's their day job. Yeah, 100%. Like, uh, as one of my mastermind members put it the other day, I'm trying to find the clean verse. She said, yes. Uh, so he just came in. I hadn't mentioned it to anyone before. He said, yeah, so I just had my account reinstated after 13 days off. It was a bit of a pants-filling experience. And I thought, yep, I know exactly what you mean. He was very calm about it, though. I just thought, yeah, and that's why you've earned the right to, to sit at this table with these guys that I'm very proud of, the, the guys who have the mastermind, small but growing businesses, because the courage level needed to deal with that is not small. So yeah, totally with you on that. Let's let's get going through the list. So number three, what, what are we looking for here? So the, the key one here is like, again, it's a very simple question, but like how much experience do you have not operating, but buying an Amazon FBA business. Because buying an Amazon FBA business, part of the beauty of it is a lot of the data is really nicely organized in through the Amazon portal. So you can take that data and very quickly like get a high degree of confidence that the numbers are accurate. But the other thing is like, there's just a bunch of, uh, like the term we use is like, we know where all the bodies are buried. Like every time we look at a business, we can pretty quickly probe because we've seen, we've looked at so many and we've acquired so many and because we're operators, like we know where all the pressure points are and, and getting to, getting to what those, the difference between going through diligence really quickly and going through diligence very slowly is a seasoned buyer will know what they need to focus on and what actually matters. Whereas an un, unexperienced buyer will kind of fumble through it. And when they hit um, one of these potential issues or, or, or areas they'll then spend a lot of time trying to understand how big a risk that is. Because really what you're doing during underwriting is you're just doing a, a calculation of do we properly understand the risks and is that reflected in the purchase price? So every time we, we look at a business, the first couple of things that we do is we just immediately go to what are the things that could kill this deal immediately and that's what we go and look for. And, and, that's, what we go and, try and that's what we go and try to uncover because otherwise it's just a waste of everyone's time it hurts the the seller's business and it's bad for our brand. So yeah. we've bought a bunch of these assets. We, we know where the bodies are buried. So just ask them, like, what's your plan? What do you need to understand in the underwriting process? And, and, and how much experience do you have buying these businesses? And what are the key issues that you look for? Yeah. What are the key issues you're looking for is, is a very good... It's a very good question. I like that. Let me just write this down. I'm making copious notes as ever, folks. If you want to get the notes at amazingfba.com forward slash 10k collective or more, more easily 10k collective.com is where we, we hold the stuff for the podcast. Yeah, this reminds me, by the way, it's, it's just this much simpler but much more frequent transaction that more people will be familiar with. If you're trying to get a mortgage for a property, it's not the same thing, but it comes down to excess due diligence. I remember that my a while ago, my wife and I uh, bought a property that we rent out. And one of the questions that came back from the, the mortgage company was, there's a mismatch between the spelling of the your Gmail account 
from my wife and her surname. Her surname is Carter, and it was called JenMarcato at gmail.com. And, and Marcato is is just a, an Italian term, and she's a classical musician, so it's just a normal word in that. I just, we just both looked at it and thought, how is this relevant to anything? Anyone can have anything as their Gmail address. It makes no difference. But because they'd employed a bunch of people who had no idea what they were doing, they were worrying about every stupid little detail as opposed to really, really important stuff like can we afford to pay the rent or the mortgage in this case. So I totally hear what you're saying. Let's move on to number four then. So your buyer, talking about due diligence then, let, let's talk a bit more about that, that process. So having, it feeds into the last point. Ask them like what, like during the due diligence period, all a buyer should be trying to do is understanding, do I understand, can I confirm that the economics of this business are accurate? And second, is there anything that the seller has done that would change kind of the fundamentals of the business from an Amazon perspective? So have they gone and bought a bunch of fake reviews? Have they been doing anything black hat or or remote black hat to kind of optimize performance? And then the the next kind of key thing the buyers sort of look for is what does the supply chain look like? And if I do what I want to do with this business, can that supply chain scale with me? And my advice for any seller that goes through the process is if your supply chain sucks, then just be upfront about it. Because the biggest problem we've had with any business that we've required that stops us from growing is often in nearly all circumstances, it's it's been the supply chain. So, so how does that feed into the due diligence plan? Like they're the key themes that people are going to want to hit on. And, and, and what you want to do is you want to understand at what stage in the process are they going to kind of get to that kind of bucket of analysis and complete it. Because a good buyer will be able to tell you like planning week one is to get to this point. And at the, at the end of this point, at the end of week one, we've knocked the following risks off the table and we don't need to talk about that again. That doesn't, it, that's all good. At the end of week two, it's like we, we've confirmed that we've completed our black hat review and we think that the reviews are legitimate and you haven't done anything to game traffic or, or boost conversion. That side of it's good. At the end of week three, the deal has progressed and everyone should be more comfortable that it's going to get done. We're going to go meet the supplier and we're going to have a conversation with them, tour their factory, ensure that you've got all the right. We often do it a little bit earlier, but ensure that you've got all the right, whether it's compliance certificates, certifications, you're paying the right tariff rates, like all of that stuff is in order. And and for, 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 for most, like for a buyer like us, that is that is fundamental. So so just understanding that when all of those those pieces of work are done and that there there are no issues, like you should confirm throughout the process that there's no issues because you never want to get to the end of a three week underwriting process, and then the the buyer turns around and says to you, oh there's a, there's a bunch of material issues and because of that we're no longer interested or we're interested in the deal structure now it looks like this like you just want to you just want to get throughout the entire underwriting process. You just want to keep getting feedback that everything's on track, everything's good, we're making progress, the deal's not at risk. Like that's that's really what a good diligence plan should give a buyer comfort that everything's moving in the right direction. So so ask, Perfect. you know, open it up to the the seller and ask them, like, explain it to me. In, in in their words, get them to feed that back to you and just line it up. Like, do I have confidence that they know what they're doing? Perfect. So what it strikes me is two characteristics about what you've just described. One is structure. 
week one we're aiming to get this done week two we're going to get this done week three we're aiming to be here and the other one is transparency so they communicate that structure and i guess that if you ask somebody something and they don't communicate back to you then there's a lack of transparency or there's a maybe maybe they don't have a plan either of which would probably be bad i guess right from your you have that very structured calm assurance of somebody who's done this a million times i guess because you have right being in the due diligence game back in the day i guess yeah, 100%. And we won a deal once because there, there were two bidders, both offers were the same, and, and we laid out our plan. And the other, the other bidder just said, I'm just going to install an API into Seller Central and then I'm done. And the, the buyer kind of looked at it was like, sorry, the, the seller looked at it was like, huh, like, these guys seem to be pretty dialed on what it is that they're going to be doing each week. You, you've just told me you're going to install an API and that's it. So, you know, we, 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 won, the, we won the bid. Yeah, I mean, that sounds incredibly slack even to me because I've never done an M&A deal in my life. But obviously, if I were buying an Amazon business, the first thing I'd worry about is the, the supply side and the product because that's the most, the core bit and the hardest bit to get, isn't it? Finding a good supplier, finding a product that is really great and will not get one-star reviews, that will organically get five-star reviews and is buyable at a price that is not only profitable now, but maybe if the price moves against you. These are like obvious Amazon operator-led thinking. And if you're just looking on the Amazon platform, how can you possibly tell all that stuff? So yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I, I, if I were the seller in that case, I would also have gone, what are you talking about? I could go with Elevate. So that totally makes sense to me. Okay, so number five, what things that we need to look out for here? This one is, is basic but key. And, and I'm kind of shocked at the number of opportunities. Like we, we, we catch most opportunities that come to market. In fact, I'd say we catch all opportunities that come to market. And and we've bought two businesses this year and we've seen a bunch of others which have come back. And, and the reason why they've come back is because when the, the seller and the buyer have completed underwriting, when it's come time to fund the deal, the, the buyer has basically said, look, I had a funding package in place it didn't get up. Can you please give me another two, three weeks to go and continue to work with my financier so I can finalize the funding package? And and you go to the websites of these people and they look legitimate, but they're not. So it's it's such a simple question, but just ask the ask the buyer, do you have the funding in place? What approvals do you need from your financiers to complete the transaction? What approvals do you need from your shareholders to complete this transaction? Do you have a formalized investment committee process that approves transactions like this? And what's their kind of delegated level of authority to fund this deal? You know, some sellers have gone so far as like, we've sent them an excerpt of our bank account to show them the amount of cash that we have to give them comfort that we can get the deal done. So, so it's, it's, again, it's for many people selling their business the first time, just make sure that the person on the other side of that deal has the cash because, um, if people don't have the cash, they're not going to tell you to the very end when it starts to get awkward and you say, hey, like, when are we going to close? And they'll be like, oh, they'll, they'll delay it for as long as they can. And then eventually you'll have a hard conversation and you'll realize that they've wasted your time. I was so, going to say, it sounds like a rather direct question, but on the other hand, I guess you're going to end up having that awkward conversation at some point. So I guess what you're saying is have it up front, not on the back yeah, end. And, yeah. and, and, like anyone who's come from my background gets it. So we're not going to be offended. It's it's just, it's how it's done. Proof of funding, 
yeah, just, just verify that you've got proof of funding. It's it's pretty basic, right? But I, I think it's particularly maybe I'm being very British, but I can imagine some British sellers being a bit embarrassed to even ask that question. But I guess it's better to be embarrassed than find out on the back end that you wasted three months of your life when your brand may not be performing that well either, I suppose, by that point. Yeah, perfect. And don't be seduced by press articles, big announcements that people have hundreds of millions of dollars in capital. The reality is, is like, they can announce that, but maybe 20% of that is actually committed. So, so you need to dig behind some of these headlines because it's very easy to call up a journalist and give them something to write about. So, so, so probe, ask the right questions and, and, and get yourself comfort. The other thing I'd say is if you are doing a deal where it is contingent on financing, which can be the case with a larger private equity deal or if you've got a bigger Amazon store, you, you just need to make sure that what is the buyer doing to kind of progress that financing stream? In the US, it's very common for some smaller businesses, the buyer may use like a government-backed loan. And, and the key for that is like that will take them eight to 10 weeks to get that approved. If that's what your buyer has, you've just got to make sure that they're doing what they need to do to get that financing package approved. So ask them, what's the timeline like to get that financing packaging up and, and regularly check in with them throughout the diligence process to be like, have you gone to the financiers credit committee? When are you going to get that final approval? Have you got a signed term sheet? Like a whole bunch of questions like that to just make sure that they're on track. It strikes me that obviously for you, these are very obvious questions, but for the majority of us are very good, at, as you said, at operating Amazon businesses, which is a really valuable skill set. Nevertheless, it strikes me that this is the point where I would suggest to anyone that they is get hold of you and have a chat because to you, these are blindingly obvious questions to ask. To the average uh, person, these are not obvious because they've never dealt with mergers and acquisitions. Let's get these final three knocked out because I'm just keen to get this list. I think it's a great list. So number six, what, what are we uh, talking here? So number six is taking money out of the equation. For some, for some people, it's, it's really hard to build a business. Some people have caught lightning in the bottle and they've got a really big business and they just got lucky. But by and by, most people have had to grind it out blood, sweat, tears to, to get to where they are, to be successful. And some people are less motivated by the money and more motivated by, is this buyer going to be a good steward of my brand? And what that means is, uh, if I look back in two years, am I going to see that I'm still the number one seller of this product on Amazon and they've taken it and done a, a bunch of really amazing things with my brand? Or, or is it just going to be run into the ground? And, and we constantly look back at every time we miss a deal, we constantly look back at who ended up buying it because you can now track that. And then we see what they've done with the business and, and, and had they revolutionized it or is it still the same? And for, for some sellers, this is really important, just making sure that they're going to be a good steward for the brand and they're going to do the right thing. They're going to do the right thing um, by the business. We bought a business from a, a couple of chaps in the UK earlier in the year. And one of them said to me, it's like, I once said to someone that if, if, if these guys don't do the right thing, if something goes wrong with this business, I would literally think about jumping off a cliff and like that's how emotive they were about it. So, yeah. Wow, that's kind of extreme, but I kind of get that actually. I mean, I did once that there's possibly, I would suggest, an unhealthy emotional relationship with your business, but nevertheless, it, it is how passionate, how wrapped up people get in it. It is their baby, isn't it? So so I guess we've got two final follow-up questions that, that relate to this, somebody, the good steward thing. So, so what's question number seven that you should be asking if you're checking out your buyers or qualifying the buyer, as you put it? Awesome. So this, this one kind of feeds into... I, kind of feeds into to number two that we talked about, like 
make sure you you actually meet the faces of the people who will be managing. A lot of sellers use the word like, this business is my baby. So make sure you meet the team that's going to be managing your business going forward. And, and during our process, like you will meet the marketing team, you'll meet the brand managers, you'll meet our integrations team, you'll meet the supply chain team, you'll meet the sourcing team. Like you will meet all of these people throughout the process because all these people, their day job, the moment that, that you hand over the keys is to manage your, your business. So, so they can't do their job properly if they don't meet you. So as a, as a seller, I would be super concerned if the only people that you meet through the sale process is the financial people. Because yeah. if that's the case, like that's that's not you you, you can't take any confidence that the, they're not going to drop the ball the moment this asset gets transferred. Yeah, right. And it, what strikes me is that what's interesting talking to you is you clearly have so much experience of M and A, but you've had your three accounts suspension. So you're a seasoned Amazon entrepreneur. You come back from that. That's for me the moment when somebody really has shown that they can survive anything because it's so horrendous. I've had a listing suspended. I've never had a personally had an account suspended, but I've, I've worked with enough people who have and the panicked emails that I get and all the rest of it. But here's the other thing that um, strikes me that if they aren't introducing you to the key people who will be working on your business, they may be pretty good at doing deals. They may not be, by the way, but that's so different from running a business. I think I'd be suspicious that they're frankly going to just outsource it to uh, an Amazon agency, which isn't necessarily a terrible thing if the agency happens to be great. What what are your thoughts about that? It's... Yeah, it's, it's kind of a loaded question because I don't want to... We, we run all our brands ourselves. We have our own internal agency. Effectively, what we've built, we've built our own internal like advertising agency. We've built our own internal supply chain team. So we see all of those key components as kind of being vital to, to grow. What, what we want to build is we want to build a portfolio of brands. Amazon has disrupted traditional consumer brands and, and Amazon has created a platform for people to replace those. So we don't view it about product listings and, and because it's so important, what we because we want to build long-term brands, having the people to be able to do that that work for us is what we see as key. But that said, like there's certain components of it where we'll outsource it to, to, to different agencies. So if we ever have a black hat problem that we can't get or, or a black hat problem that we can't resolve or an Amazon account issue that we can't resolve, we'll, we'll, we'll give that to a, a team of experts to help us. The same on the PPC side, like there are some really talented people out there. We've tried to recruit them. They don't want to work for us. They like being entrepreneurs. So so we, we give them some of our brands to help kind of apply their expertise to it. And they do a great job. That sounds to me a bit more like the, the mentality of a good Amazon operator, which is to say that the core components that make the business what it is, you keep in-house. And then sometimes some very, very fine operators do bring in PPC agencies because they're just going to do a better job because it doesn't happen to be their bag. And as you say, good PPC operators just generally have their own agency pretty swiftly. They don't work in-house because it's a very valuable skill if you really can make it work. I mean, discuss. That's a whole different topic. The, the final thing is obviously the, the final piece of are they going to be be good steward to your brand so what's that eighth eighth question the eighth the eighth question is do they have a plan or a vision for your business and i think this is often underrated but very very crucial because particularly if you've got an earn out if they don't have a shared vision for what this business is going to become or, or how they're going to maintain the the kind of current competitive position of the business then that should be setting off one like unless you just want to look at your hard work over the last three years and have a nice payday. For many people, it's about ensuring that their business is going to survive for the long term. 
And, and, and if someone doesn't have a plan on day one, then I kind of question how long that operator is going to be around for long-term in the ecosystem. Because we all know that a lot of people think that what they're doing is they're just buying digital real estate on Amazon and they've got a review mode and they're fine. But we all know that like, if you don't continue to evolve, get better, use every single lever that you have available to you, that number one position can get attacked really quickly. So, so having a vision and a plan for the business and some thoughts around how this fits into the wider portfolio and people that are experienced managing that type of business, I think that's really, really important. That makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that strike me, the, the self, self-correcting dynamic in this situation that should strike any really intelligent aggregator is this. All the aggregators know, and, and then anyone who's not been living under rock knows there's a ton of money getting allocated to funds to buy Amazon businesses, and a lot of aggregators are coming out to, to roll them up. Therefore, by definition, a ton of money is coming into the market. So if you just do the same old, same old, and you're mediocre, and you've got a ton of money coming in, it is def- by definition, it can't stay the same, can it? I mean, it's, it's a dynamic market. So it, it should be obvious to anyone that actually staying in the same place means you're going to go backwards because of the yeah. money pouring into the space, right? But I mean, I think uh, it, it's somehow, I think some of the people just really have got the dollar signs, right? I, I just get that feeling. I try and make sure they don't come on our podcast so I'm being selective. But yeah, I think that there are some people who don't really get the space. They just know that e-commerce is a thing right now. And I think in a couple of cases I've heard about, that's about all they've got really. There's like e-commerce is a thing. Let's put money in. A bit like the yeah. way I bought some Tesla shares recently and and didn't really have a clue, but I put a couple of grand in and I thought, I don't really know what I'm doing, but that's okay. But I wouldn't bet my house on it, you know? Because I didn't know what I was doing. And I knew that I didn't know what I was doing. The, the danger comes when people look like they might know what they're doing and they really don't, doesn't it? That's what strikes me. Yeah, 100%. And if people know their history and they've been around Amazon long enough, they'll know that before someone was really successful at doing the whole aggregator model, people failed. And, and, and there are reasons and lessons in why they failed. And, and kind of throwing caution to the wind, it's like these are operating businesses. They're highly complex it's your business can be halved in overnight because because if Jeff Bezos decides to do something or a bad actor arrives on the scene and, and collects a thousand reviews over two months and, and kind of takes that number one position, it's an extremely volatile area. So so having a plan around how they're going to defend your business and grow it is key. Um, because if you think like that, you'll be around for the long term versus people that think, I'm just going to buy... 50 businesses, I'll have $50 million of EBITDA and then I'll IPO the whole thing at a billion bucks. Like that's just financial engineering. And, and this is a retail business. Yeah, totally. Yeah, spoken like a true Amazon operator. So the final thing to say is if people want to get hold of you, I know you generally speaking are looking at brands from about sort of half a million dollars EBITDA upwards, but you can potentially pass things on to others if it's a bit smaller. So if people want to get hold of you, if they're doing those kinds of numbers, how, how do they best have a chat to you or your team? Yeah, so the, the easiest way is just come through the website, elevatebrands.io, or shoot me an email at jeremy at elevatebrands.io. And yeah, we'll, we'll get in touch. And yeah, I love speaking to sellers. Part of the coolest part of my job is like me, meeting entrepreneurs who've often gone on this crazy journey and they're super successful. So yeah, I get a real kick out of that. And if I can just give people practical advice around what to do and how to maximize value, you know, that, that'll pay itself back at some time, I'm sure. 
Excellent. I like the attitude. And, and one of the perks of the, the job of doing this podcast is uh, meeting people like yourself who clearly got that very easy relationship with the, the right processes because you've done it so much. It just kind of comes across. So clearly superb value today. I, I really love these sort of questions to educate the, the, the people going who are incredible operators. As you said, we undervalue that. But going into a new space, talking to people who are buying companies, and I guess it comes down to not kind of being overawed really, doesn't it? It sounds like there's a lot of very concrete, sensible things you can check that aren't rocket science to check, some some questions that can easily raise red flags. So this is a superb list. Could you just run over those eight questions for us quickly just to wrap up? Because I think they're really, really good. Awesome. So, so the first one was, is the buyer an experienced operator on managing this type of e-commerce business? Or, or just, you can ask that to any buyer of any type of business. Like, do you have any experience operating this type of business? And prove it we, we, when, you, when you dig and probe into that. The next one is, have you met the people from their team that are responsible for, for running your, your business going forward? Because you want to know that you, you've got a safe pair of hands on the other side. The next, the next theme is around the M&A side of it. So how much experience does the, does the buyer that you're speaking to have running this, this type of this business? Oh, sorry, acquiring this type of business? The next one is, do they have a clear plan around what they're going to do throughout that sale process? This one is key, but often overlooked. Do they have the money? Do you have the funding in place to be able to close out the transaction? Number six is, are they going to be a good steward of your, your hard work? And will your business be around in three, four years time? Which goes again to, have you met the key people that are going to be involved in running it? And do they really have a plan to grow it? Superb list. Thank you so much. Very, very concrete. Uh, really, really helpful. Jeremy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Real education. I hope that people will reach out to you. I'm always going to urge every uh, business owner that I know who's even considering possibly selling um, to reach out to an expert like yourself because you're going to only educate yourself and, and educating yourself about something like this is just the new skill set for 2021, I think. This, this is how the space is growing now. So, Jeremy, a real pleasure, a real education. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No, th thank you, Michael. It's, it's been great. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.